Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. From the book of the prophet Isaiah, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. In the second book of Chronicles, the story is told that King Uzziah, filled with pride and a bit presumptuous as well, very presumptuous, entered the temple with an incense censer, a thurible in his hand, to burn incense on the altar of incense. Well, it was not the prerogative of the king himself to offer incense or any sacrifice on the altars of the temple. And so 80 priests, valiant men, we're told, stood against him, ready to fight him to the death so that he could be kept out. Surprisingly, a fight never happened. Uzziah was struck with leprosy and remained a leper to the day of his death. In fact, rather than being buried in the, in the royal necropolis, he was buried in a field owned by kings. Anytime I'm training a thoroughfare, I say, be careful. It's not just Uzziah, but the sons of Aaron as well. You've got to be careful with incense. It's a dangerous bit. Well, it was in the year of this death of King Uzziah to which Isaiah refers in his vision of the heavenly glory of God in Isaiah chapter 6. It is a familiar scene, but it is not just a heavenly vision. The vision is of the glory of God filling the temple with smoke, incense smoke. God is high and lifted up. He is surrounded by a host of angels unable to be seen. The angels call to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and smoke fills the temple. And Isaiah was clearly putting the two together. He was filled with dread and he says, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king. You hear what he's saying? My eyes have seen Uzziah, but my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. One of the seraphim flew down, as we know, to Isaiah with a hot coal taken from the tongs of, an alt of the altar with which he touched Isaiah's lips. It is at this very moment at which his prophetic work begins, and it is a strange work. Isaiah does not uh, serve to encourage the people. He does not serve to turn them from their sins. Isaiah must make the heart of the people fat. He must make their ears heavy, lest they turn from their sin and be healed. Isaiah's message is, what you face is unavoidable. And the message is this, in the first part of the book, that there is no way left to avoid the coming siege of Jerusalem and subsequent exile. The mess is too much to salvage. And you know that if you've read the Old Testament at all, what has happened? The kings have sacrificed worship as God commands for something else. They have done very, very, very cruelly to the people. But even at the end of chapter 6, when Isaiah asks how long it will be until this destruction comes... The only answer is that he will know the work is done. He will know that his work is done when the cities are laid waste, their populations reduced to 10%, and all of those cities burned and destroyed. 
This, of course, would come when the Babylonians would attack Jerusalem 40 years later. And yet this chapter ends in hope. The Lord says to Isaiah that the city will be like an oak tree when it is burned, just a stump in the ground. But the holy seed is its stump. I don't know if you've ever cut down a tree and forgotten about it. I've done this in my backyard. I'll cut down a tree and think, well, that's that. And then a year later, it's got shoots coming up from the sides of the stump. You've got to burn it down. You've got to take it out. This is the message of hope. And we can speculate as to what this holy seed or stump is based on the text. I would say that it is something akin or something like the seed of the woman in the Proto-Evangelion of Genesis chapter 3. Or the seed of Abraham, a renewed Israel made up of children according to the promise. The vision is one of Israel reduced to a stump from which a renewed nation would spring. In chapter 11, Isaiah prophesies, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow forth from his roots. This shoot from the stump of Jesse is not only a renewed Israel, but a renewed kingdom headed by a messianic descendant of Jesse and David and all the kings, a man with the spirit of the Lord, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The exile was utterly devastating to the kingdom of Judah. It meant not only the, la- the loss of lands and subjugation to a foreign nation, but the loss of everything the Jewish people held dear. Their God-given homeland, a land which proved to be rich and lush, a, man, a land flowing with milk and honey. And not only that, they lost the very heart of their religious life. The temple which God himself indwelt, which David and Solomon had built, And somewhere in the siege, the temple was reduced to rubble and the Ark of the Covenant carried away. That is when the exile begins. Not when they go to Babylon, but when the Ark is taken away, even to the point that when they return, they are still in exile because God is not with them. And that is the context within which our reading from Isaiah comes today. Isaiah is waiting for this day to come. He is fully aware that a siege is coming, that destruction is in store for Jerusalem. He is the one who sees it when everyone else is in denial. And the new king, King Ahaz, Uzziah's grandson, is visited by the Lord. Now we have to say from the outset that Ahaz is one of the many evil kings of Judah. Even though his son Hezekiah led the people righteously, it was an opposition to his father's legacy. Here in chapter 7, Ahaz is under siege by the Assyrians and the kingdom of Israel who are in cahoots, both a foreign nation and his separated brethren. All appears hopeless. The Assyrians have laid siege to every city going south, city after city after city. And in the midst of this hopelessness, Ahaz is met by the Lord who says to him, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. And by the way, if God ever appears to you and says, you know, ask a sign from the Lord, ask for the moon. But Ahaz rather sheepishly doesn't do that. He says, I will not put the Lord to the test because you know what he wants to ask. He's like, if you are really God, then turn away the Assyrians, turn them away, save the city, save your presence among us. Which, by the way, actually still happened And nevertheless, the Lord speaks 
against the house of David, against his house, for not only the way that they have wearied the people through their misleading, through their sin, through their apostasy, but the way that they have been wearying God himself. Ahaz is told that a young woman shall conceive and bear a son who will be called Emmanuel. This is not just a young woman. The Hebrew very clearly leads us to believe that she's a virgin. This is often debated, but what you need to know is that the church has for almost her entire history held that this woman is a prefiguring of Mary and her child a prefiguring of Jesus. That this is clear messianic prophecy in the midst of Isaiah's text. And the connection here is this, that the Lord is showing Ahaz that the renewed Davidic kingship will be renewed from a burned out stump in the form of a virgin conceiving a child who would be called literally God with us. The evangelist Matthew was obviously not unaware of this when he wrote that the conception of Jesus in the womb of a virgin was in fulfillment of this prophecy. He says all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. It is absolutely incoherent to suppose that the New Testament witness is to anything other than this that the Messiah promised to the Old Testament prophets has been given in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Matthew has already said as much in laying out the the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham to Joseph through people like Obed and Jesse and Ruth and David and Solomon and Uzziah and Ahaz and Hezekiah. When I was a little kid, I thought those genealogies were the most boring part of the Bible. Let's get to the meat. But for a Jewish kid, you think, those are my heroes. Those are my people. And then you see the truth that Jesus comes from that people. The Messiah comes from that people. Jesus is the king. That's what that genealogy in the very opening verses of Matthew gives us. It's telling that halfway through, Matthew takes a quick break from his genealogy at the time of the exile to Babylon. He is clear that at this point, the divinic lineage goes underground. Now, that was not news for the first century. Every Jew knew that the divinic lineage had gone underground. Everyone knew that the kingdom was now run by Hasmonean usurpers, Herod and his minions. The message Matthew is giving is therefore threefold. First, that the rightful heir of David was born in Bethlehem to a virgin, the Davidic city, to Joseph and Mary. Joseph, a descendant and, in fact, right in line to be king of Judah and Mary as regal as he is. Second, that this is the very one of whom Isaiah foretold, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a seed that is a stump, foretold to Ahaz. Third, that Jesus is not only the rightful Davidic king, but truly Emmanuel, God with us. This is the reason that the angel appeals to Joseph not to divorce Mary, thereby making the child illegitimate and therefore not in the Davidic line. The angel says to him, listen to what he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people 
from their sins. Can you imagine what's going on in Joseph at this point? He knows his genealogy. He knows who he is. He knows that he's a dispossessed king. And yet there he is, betrothed to this woman who is mysteriously pregnant. He doesn't have an heir. Is this it? Is the Davidic line going to die with him? If he divorces Mary, that's what would happen. And so the angel begins, Joseph, son of David. Can you imagine the encouragement of this to a man who has been serving as a carpenter in the strange place of Galilee, knowing who he is, knowing what his identity is, and then an angel appears to him and says, Joseph, son of David. It's as if it is something known only to him and to the angel. Joseph, so aptly named after his ancestor Joseph, who sojourned in Egypt to save his people from starvation, would now sojourn as a father, yes, even to Egypt, to this eternal king who would save his people from the destitution and hunger of sin. At the tail end of Advent, we pray, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. We understand that even now God's people are held captive. We understand even now that we are in need of redemption by the hand of this king. But today we go to the altar of God. We go to behold the very one whom the angels acclaim. Not God up there, not the old man in the sky, but God with us. The God whom the angels acclaim with holy, holy, holy will be acclaimed here in this church by angels and archangels and all the company of heaven and by our very voices. We will kneel and make a home in our bodies for the King of kings and Lord of lords. In this Jesus whom we both worship and obey, the church finds an end to exile, an end to striving, an end to captivity, to sin. It's always in this time of year that I remember these wonderful words by Blaise Pascal in his wonderful work, The Pensee. Uh, he speaks of uh, man as the glory and garbage of the universe. He says we are dispossessed princes. At, at this time of year, we remember not only that we are dispossessed princes, but that we are members of a dispossessed nation which has been given back our birthright in Jesus Christ, our King. Yes, stir up thy power, O God, and with great might come among us, Emmanuel, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.